Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. You know, when you're in the daily grind and you you're like, I have to work eight hours a day, you know, uh, Monday, Monday through Friday, and then I'm going to have two days off to to do all this other stuff. This this sort of routine leanness, but also just the sort of focus on like everything that's going on and, and just like let's zero in on this. I kind of feel like has made time go by even faster um, than it already has gone by. Hmm. And I know that when you're meditating, time does seem to go by very slowly. And not to say that I don't know that you want time to go by slowly, but don't you in a way? Because I, I, I feel like as time goes by, there's inevitably changes that are that are happening, you know, like getting older and mm. you know all these changes happening that that can just seem to pass you by and you're not really like enjoying life if 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 you're just kind of like zeroing in on everything and everything else is passing you by. i don't know um so i i'm wondering like how we could almost leverage meditation to create a more even paced perception of time mm. So is even is even perception of time desirable? Is that what you're implying? Like you're you're I see where you're going with like slower is better or like you don't want to miss out on life right by having time fly by. But uh, sometimes people are like, oh, they like it when time flies by. They're like, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Right. Like or- why would that be if that were if if time going by were not were a bad thing. It's but it's not it's not even. Like when you're mm-hmm. a kid, you know, things go by a lot slower. Yeah. And you're like it's taken years for me to turn from 6 to 7. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that works, mm-hmm. but it took it took 3 years for me to turn 7 years old after I was 6. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I I've, I've thought about that a lot. It's funny, it is kind of related to the sort of weird perception and childhood kind of stuff that we've talked about that that made us susceptible to zen practice maybe but the the way i've always related to that sort of time dilation is that time is so much bigger of a percentage of your life when you're little yeah uh, and 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 so there's the i you know what i've felt uh and i think is pretty common to feel is that time accelerates over time <laughs> If that it does. Makes sense. It accelerates. I mean, my twenties. So you know, because I'm thirty now, and so I can have my entire twenties. A lot of stuff happened in yeah. that in that decade, like a lot of stuff. But it feels like a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like it was only like, I don't know. It does. It's like my memory of of high school is. It doesn't feel like that long ago, and my nephew is in high school now. Uh-huh. So that feels like I was just like my nephew like a couple of years ago, but I wasn't. <laughs> That's not true at all, yeah. but it feels like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then like think about how long it felt. Have, like think about how old you felt when you turned 10, you know? 
Like that seemed like an impossibly long time had passed. And then from 10 to 20 was, was nothing compared to that, but then 20 to 30. Yes. It's amazing. And so like my, my, I've had like a theory about that being just sort of a perceptual thing where like a day is a time is like nothing now after 30 something years of days. But when you've only lived for like five years, a day is a much bigger chunk of time, relatively speaking. So it feels more significant or something like that. Uh, but, but I don't, I don't know that that really gets at just, I mean, that doesn't get at everything about how, the perception of time works. I don't think, I mean, you pointed to it when you were talking about, uh, well, you've, you've said a few in a few different, uh, observations that so much has happened. And I think that that is really what has the most to do with it myself. Like, like the, like time, the, the, the flow of time is like a measure of how much stuff is happening. And so that sort of explains to me why sitting, staring at the wall, not doing anything, the passage of time, can feel big and expansive, but having an amazing time with all your friends, it, it feels so much faster because there's so much more happening in each, in, in the same amount of time. And, and the way that experience works, it's like you're present for the things that are happening. And when there's many things happening, you're present with all of those things in like little pieces that all feel like now, you know, and then suddenly like all those nows amount to, uh, you know, a thing that happened that's over. Whereas when you're sitting, staring at the wall, there's only one thing happening and it's continuing to happen and happen and happen and happen. And then whatever sensations are arising and passing, like those are happening, but those are, those are little and, and familiar compared to the experiences of like new weird stuff happening out in the world or like con- stimulating conversations. So, that that it it seems like it seems like there's some sort of rule there to me of like how how much is going on determines how how fast of an experience it is. Yeah. Well, do your do your work days feel fast or slow to you? Oh my god, they they feel like not like. Well, I, I guess there are there are sometimes exceptions when there's like one task that I have to do the entire day. That is, oh yeah, that does feel slower. That sure. that feels like an impossible slog, but most of the time that's not what it's like. Most of the time it's like stuff flying at me from all directions. Yeah, and I can't believe it's over when it's over, and I feel like I'm half done with all of those things. Sure. And like, well, yeah, and like that has to do with like an objective thing, also, just like how much there is to do. But like b- because of the nature of that, just constant distraction and interruption and new things piling up, it just feels like so much that uh, when I'm when I'm you know when when eight hours have rolled by, you know, I've attended to so many things that it just like I didn't even notice it go. Yeah, I feel so. I feel the same way. And it does depend on how many things I have to do, for mm-hmm. sure. So the more things that I have to do, the quicker time goes by. Yeah. Um, Which is a bummer. You wish it worked the other way. Because if you had yeah. more to do, you wish you had more time <laughs> to do it. Right, right. Because I, I think that w- if if time slows down too much for you, then you can get really bored. Yeah. Like, well, that's all this empty space <laughs> around here. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds like Zazen to me. Yeah, yeah, sure. You realize all this empty space that you didn't realize was there before. Yeah. I'm not the the type of person to want to fill all my time 
with things to do. Mm -hmm. I like to feel that empty space sometimes. Yeah. Even if it's uncomfortable, I kind of do like think it's it's important. Me too. But I wonder like if, is is it possible to create empty space even when you have a lot of things to do? Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. If you are, you know, this is this is where like conventional mindfulness discourse would enter the picture. It would say like if you pay attention to all your sensations and to every breath as it goes in and out, and like every finger as it touches the keyboard you know, then you are uh, staying with it instead of letting your sort of mind rush ahead to being done with it or think about something else and and missing out on the experience in some way. But as I'm saying this, I'm starting to realize that I don't think that's actually how it works. That, no, you know, I don't know either because you, you need a lot of um, energy. You need a lot of headspace to do that. Yeah. If you have a lot of stuff to do, you're, most of your headspaces and energy are going to go to like completing that task and not really paying attention to the sensation of the keyboard underneath your fingertips. Right. And if you pay enough, attention a privilege. That, you'll just like get lost touching your keyboard. <laughs> but but the, there's, there's, there's something lower level than that too about it for me cognitively, which is like, if we're right, if I'm right about my theory about the amount of stuff, or well, actually we've agreed on this. If we're right about the amount of stuff happening being directly related to how quickly time feels like it's passing. That seems like the more mindful you are of an experience, the faster time should go because you're, because like every keystroke is like an incredible experience and every breath is an incredible experience. And that's more like going to a party with your friends and having fun than staring at a wall and being bored as far as the perception of how much is happening to me but but i think that's the thing like you have to be able to bring it into some of these situations i think you could certainly it could certainly for me sometimes be easier to be mindful if i'm just sitting there having like lunch with someone Uh but it could be harder the more things that are happening (laughs) like we go back to it so if it's a party and there's like lots of people talking and you're you're just eating, you're shuffling around. Uh, there's music blasting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if those are really the type of parties I go to, but in this hypothetical <laughs> <Sounds like situation. laughs> fun. I remember those as something that happened in the distant past. <laughs> well, anyways, if there's a lot of stimulation for me, the 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 more difficult it is to. Um, be mindful because there's a lot of things to process at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the more simple, the more simple the experience, the easier it is to process. So I think that's why zazen is so good at what it does, mm. is because it simplifies everything to just like sitting down and and that's it. So, mm-hmm. um, and that, I mean that's the practice, right? So you're practicing doing that. So when you're in a more high stimulation environment, it could be easier to recall some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But, you know, then there there's also something I, I've thought about before, like, should we be practicing in those types of high simulate stimulating environments? Because there's, there's the, the whole like, I guess is a theory, the theory that like you, you have, you learn 
in the situation you learn in is the easiest way to recall those memories. So mm -hmm. if you learn things underwater, you might not be able to recall what you learned underwater above water. Uh-huh. So what is that? So which one? So is work. So you're saying if you learn to practice in a stressful environment, then practice would, would, would be connected to the stress. No, but you would be able to, uh, pull up that, um, pull up your, what you've learned from the practice easier. Right. So you're, in so practicing in a dark room, staring at the wall with nothing happening is a way of sort of learning into your body, how to be relaxed so that when you're in a high stress environment, you can, but I'm wondering if we need to also, uh -huh. we need to also uh -huh. practice in high stress environments. Right. I see. Well, so here's how that comes up for me because, you know, I go in, I'm in a lot of high stress environments that put the amount of stress in a, for example, a work situation completely to shame. Like I would take a day at work, you know, in a heartbeat to get out of some of the kinds of stressful situations that I find myself in, you know, well, at bedtime. And, and, and there's as a father. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm being a little dramatic, but it's like definitely to me harder to put a two-year-old to bed than it is to do anything I have to do in my job. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the, the, um, the practice does kick in. Like I, like I, I'm, I'm needing to call on that breathing, for example, in order to slow my body, in order to proceed through that situation the way that I want to. But it started to feed back on the practice too, in a way that might not sound good at first, but I think is actually very productive for how I relate to Zen practice. And it's connected to something Sensei says to me all the time, which is, uh, it's, it's commonplace. I'm paraphrasing. It's commonplace to bring Zen to our job, but what we also need to work on is bringing our job to Zen. And okay. that to, to Sensei, what that means is sort of, expressing your own, it's an extension of our sort of whole householder ethos as a Sangha, like expressing, you know, designer Zen and father Zen and podcaster Zen as our way of showing up in the Sangha and the, and our, and our, you know, our source of our metaphors for speaking about Zen practice and things like that. Like, it's not just that we're all trying to become bald monks in black robes who do jobs. You know, it's that we're we're also simultaneously becoming, you know, fathers of two little kids who are Zen practitioners. So, you know, like the the, the situation in uh, in my I mean, I, what he's usually talking about is like how he brings his experience as a designer into his way of teaching Zen. So he's using design metaphors and design language and design thinking. Uh, and even designing our programming using his design principles uh, because he is relating to the sort of Zen undercurrent of his work in the world. Uh, what that's what, what I'm experiencing is that yes, sitting in a quiet, dark room, staring at the wall is teaching me how to be calm in stressful situations as a parent, but also handling stressful situations as a parent is teaching me how to find that 
Zen place, the thing for which there is no words while being active and stressed out and, and coming, bringing that onto the cushion, you know, for a long time, the, the predominant way my stressful life would show up on the cushion is by making me think about it constantly. So I would be sitting there trying to relax and instead my mind would be running sort of scenarios of, you know, putting my kid to bed or doing something at work or whatever. But I, I've, I've sort of sunk down beneath the surface of that and have started to kind of relate to sitting in Zazen as a stressful situation, but not in a bad way. Like my, my body sensations are intense. My emotions are intense. My thinking is intense. The, the whole situation has taken on the same intensity as the stressful mm-hmm. situations rather than all of the intensity going down. You see what I'm saying? Cause like that would have been my instinctual like assumption about what doing Zen practice for many years would do to stressful situations is it would just lower the intensity of everything, but really having more intensity is raising the intensity of everything, including sitting in a dark room, staring at the wall, not doing anything and yeah. learning to be in that as a stressful situation and adapt to it skillfully is where the real adaptation is coming from. And so I'm not like falling asleep on the cushion anymore. I'm dealing with stuff on the cushion, but it's not yeah. in a mental way. So you, what you're saying is that it this the cushion is a high stimulation environment, but all the stimulation is coming from your head. Yeah, well, my whole body, externally my whole situation. Yeah, head head is head was where it started, but now it's like the, all of the tension in my body is showing up as that kind of intensity. And I, I really don't think I just learned that by sitting in meditation for a long time. I think I learned that by the feedback back and forth between sitting in meditation and going into situations in like my life and getting stressed out. And like, I, I am, uh, learning how to, um, be with tension from my life. And that is increasing my relationship. Uh, it's, it's really hard to explain actually what, I, what, it, what it is, but the, the point is, it's not just thinking about stressful situations. It's like understanding that my whole body, my, that, that the situation doesn't really change that much as far as intensity goes. Like it, there's a lot of details that are different and a lot of experiences that feel different, but the intensity is just always going up. So does that make time go faster on your cushion? <laughs> I think I think it does, but you you said something at the very beginning that I'm really interested in that I want to I want to bring in here which was it was you were wondering it I think. I don't think you were saying whether you were sure one way or the other, but wondering about whether like evening it out is a desirable thing as opposed yeah. to going faster and slower all the time. And there, there is something kind of intuitively right about that to me, uh, but but it's it it's contrasting with how this experience is going for me, where it's just like it's not evening out. It's going. I mean, it is evening out, but it's not evening out at medium. It's it's evening out at maximum, <laughs> right? And <laughs> and and I I think I think that that is uh, another part of it. Like I think evening it out does seem like it's helping me moment to moment because I'm not, because, because when it's low intensity, I'm dissociating from it. And 
there oh. is a point of too high intensity where I also dissociate from it. But like in yeah. the in the comfortable range, the most intensity possible is the most engaging. And I think that over time I'm learning to engage with more and more intensity and that pushing it higher and higher is what really is helping if something can be said to be helping about like life from the practice. But the, the result of that, as far as it relates to this time perception thing is that increasingly every moment, like it increasingly, it feels like time is flying by yeah, all the time, but it also feels like so much is happening that the time was full when I reflect back on it, you know? And that's an interesting distinction to make is like, yeah, when time flies by because a lot was happening and it was, it was a good experience or whatever, we might look back and go, where did all that time go? But when you can look back and see like, Oh, but all this stuff happened, like you were saying about your twenties, it still feels like a fulfilling reflection. Whereas the opposite, oftentimes, if I'm like sitting at the DMV for four hours, that could feel like a month. But at the end of mm-hmm. that experience, it's not, it's not, I'm not going, huh, well, at least I had so much like expansive time to contemplate. I was like, that was a humongous waste of life because it felt like longer than it was and nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what, what you want is to be able to reflect back on an amount of time that's passed and been, and be like, well, that was my life. That was life as it as it ought to be. I mean, that's true. And I think I do kind of seek out like some sort of like happy tempo or something mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not like really high stress. And that it's not that it's not sitting in a DMV either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I would love sitting in DMVs, right? Yeah. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad I got to get out of work so I could go to the DMV. But I'm not excited about that. I don't. I don't even want to leave work. I could, I would rather be at work than be at the DMV. Yeah. Um, but if it was something where it was just like the less intensity, the better then going to the DMV would be an exciting thing. Right. Right. But it's not, it's like going to the DMV. The only thing that's intense about going to the DMV is how bad it feels. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, and so like, that's, that's what, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about with this, with these sort of, developments in in zen practice of like bringing stressful situations onto the cushion if 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 that's a a good way of at least referring to what i was talking about like it does there is a way in which zen practice helps me understand how intense it is to be bored at the dmv and and learning to deal with that intensity is important in order to deal with other intense, boring situations, but that doesn't make it more desirable to go sit at the DMV and be bored. Like that's, those are separate things. <laughs> if anything, it makes me more aware of how, how much of a waste of time yeah. it is because yeah, I no, can feel sure. in my whole and, body, how bad of a sensation it is. And I think on the opposite end, I think it, it, it sitting meditation helps me understand that, I am very like sensitive to stimulation mm. um, and it's not something enjoyable for me to be in really loud environments. And I've opted in recent times just not to be in them mm-hmm. um, that I don't have to force myself to try to enjoy a situation that is inherently not enjoyable for me. Um, and that's something 
I learned from from sitting sitting mm-hmm. zazen. So um, it didn't necessarily help me like be like, oh, now I can navigate these situations better. It's just been like, well, don't go if you don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which which sounds like, you know, the 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 end the the end game advice of Zen teachers is like learn to be discerning about how you spend your time on earth so that you spend it in the right way. And like gritting your teeth and dealing with something unpleasant is sometimes necessary, but that doesn't make it desirable. You want to be better at it when you have to do it, but that doesn't mean that you want to do it more. Never. Yeah. Never really want to do it more. I, I think. Yeah. But I do, I do see like, Maybe it's just the amount of times you do something. If you do something a lot, it does get easier, regardless mm-hmm. of meditation or not. Um, just like you get used to being in that certain environment, I think. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Like more desirable, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but it it does become less agonizing mm-hmm. <laughs> if you do mm-hmm. something a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, that's a critical part of practice, right? Like it's, it's, I mean, you could, you could apply that kind of change to getting better at anything. Like everything is agonizing when you start doing it for the first time. And then it get. I mean, like, you know, physical exercise, playing a musical instrument, whatever, whatever example you could possibly think of, like it sucks to be a beginner at something, uh, because of sort of your, distance between where you are and where you might want to be. I think one of the things that's unique about Zen practice as a way of that, that uh, as something you get that makes you better at everything, not just at sitting and looking at a wall uh, is, is that letting go of that desire to be anywhere, not because it's what Zen says to do, but because it doesn't make any sense. Like there's no, there's, it's like nonsensical to think about like getting better at this after a while. And so you, but you do though, you get better at it, but not, not in a way that sort of conforms to a future. This is related to time. Like the, the, the bad way of wanting to get better at something is to project some future. Yes. And try and get to it somehow. Yeah, but but the but it's still possible to get better at something without that. And it that is. Do, it absolutely is. And you do it by settling into what's happening and and figuring out the next moment, figuring out how to get from one moment to the next, and then like doing it over time. Well, and I think you can also like lock yourself in if you have like a future goal. You might be yeah. less open to what actually might happen or a different scenario of that future. Right. And like, you can't imagine the particulars of it either. Like you can have some very specific thing that you want to have happen. Uh, but, but you can't imagine so many other things about what else, what, what is going to be the case when you actually get there, that you're, that you're going to be wrong, mostly wrong anyway, even if you do get the one thing that you, that you imagined you would get. And that's what causes suffering, like in a very basic Buddhist sense. So the, the the perception of that progress i think is intimately related to this perception of time that we're talking about because you're constantly measuring like how much closer to the end of time right. <laughs> am, am i from from where i it was it does feel like if you're reaching for a goal and you have like an end state in mind 
it takes longer to get to that goal. Yes. It, not physically longer, but perceptually longer. Yeah. Because I remember for the longest time, you know, I, I, you know, didn't have a good paying job. So that was always the goal. I'm like, I want to be a career woman. I want to be successful in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it felt like that took a really long time to get to. And so mm-hmm. it sort of felt like it would never get here at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. And now that it's here, I'm like, well, that wasn't that hard. <laughs> right. You're not like like a couple years from retirement no. <laughs> or something. You, you have like a whole life now. It's interesting that we got goals into this conversation. We again, always get goals back We talk about a lot, right? Yeah. We've talked about it a lot It's because it just seems something that rules my life no mm-hmm. matter how hard I try. But how do you – the yeah, the idea is like, but how do you not have a goal? So – and I guess that's not how you do. It. I don't think you don't have a goal, but you you can't like that can't the goal mm. can't be the I don't know the can't it can't be the thing that you're living for. I I remember why I brought it up because right it's 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 what it is is you can have a goal that's not about a future. It's not really like we we might even be imprecise when we say in generals and situations like. Don't have a goal. Like you shouldn't have a goal for meditation or whatever. Like of course you should. Like this is how we've talked I mean, about I, it. In yeah, the, past. The, the the confusing part is there's a lot of quotes that say stuff like that. Like don't right. have a yes. goal in mind. Yeah, but but I think what it really means is you shouldn't imagine a future that you are gonna get to because it's gonna be in, incalculably different from the future that you're imagining. Like when you actually get there. But you can have a goal to do something right now. Like you can have a goal to not have a goal right now yeah and, and accomplish it right yeah. away and 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 so you're still you're still goals are you're still setting this sort of like um motivation for yourself that you can kind of decide and or at least discover emotionally in yourself and that can still propel you forward but you can do it as a sort of aspiration for a uh, way of feeling or being right now that doesn't include like this imagined outcome scenario it's not that's not the same thing as the goal the future you in the future world with the future things is not the same is not identical with the goal the goal can be to experience the intensity of your life without freaking out and that can be understood as a goal that's in the future but it can also be a goal that you have and are accomplishing right this second yeah, I mean, but I, I find it's easier to have those goals now that than in my 20s. Mm. Uh, because I'm at a point now where I'm married and we have a house together and I have a good job and, you know, everything's pretty secure. I mm-hmm. have the privilege now to make these goals that don't really have anything to do about the distant future. Mm. Ah, interesting. I mean, I guess we could always make them. Don't get me wrong. I could always make more goals, mm-hmm. but I am at a place that doesn't feel like there's uh, there's a lot of consequences for not accomplishing my goals. You've gotten it really householdery all of a sudden in a way that I think is really important and almost maybe worth like starting from the beginning on this idea in another conversation of like what like what what does security have to do with the ability to practice and obviously it has a great deal to do with it and it's it's some of it i think i'm just anticipating where we would get has to do with reducing the amount of 
security that feels that you need to feel secure. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think another part of it is, um, you know, what can you have faith in that, 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 that doesn't require you to have it now without sort of creating this mental picture for yourself that you can never live up to. Because if you can, for example, like, let's just imagine ourselves at like 21 years old, you know, or like, you know, the beginning of our Zen practice, you know, I, we might have all these ideas and goals and conceptions of what, what it's going to be. But if I could have had the goal then of just like, like, experience the full intensity of my life without freaking out as opposed to like some concrete, more concrete idea of, um, I want to be, you know, this and that kind of person. If I could have just had the goal of like, can I deal with this as it is? I might be able to have faith that that's going to lead me to more skillful decisions, to better relationships, to, uh, being more impressive in job interviews to the, to the kinds of things that lead to that kind of security without having to imagine what they're going to be. If I can just have confidence in my ability to stay with the situation and not tense up and freak out and get stressed out. And that would have been hard to explain to me at the time. But I think maybe part of what happens when we get to our mid thirties and our married career you know, in my case, little kids phase of our lives is you can kind of look back on that and realize that the reason that happened is because I showed up, not because I did this or that thing to prepare for it, but like, because I was there at the right time and like able to deal, you know, either one of us could have like freaked out and run away on our partners that we are now married to. (laughs) Oh yeah. That could could have happened. There could have been that time for sure. Yeah, And it, it didn't happen. So like what happened? Did we achieve the goal of getting married? No, we, <laughs> we, we showed up to a real relationship that was actually happening. We still show up and we keep, and we keep doing it. And that's how you stay married. <laughs> Just keep, <laughs> keep getting up in the morning. Yeah. Because the, the, it doesn't end with being married. You still have to like keep doing all the things you're doing even more so sometimes. Right. Uh, but I, I think that a part of the twenties is that, you have to experience those things and you have to like accomplish enough to, to feel, to understand what accomplishing things really means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a learning experience. Yeah. Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia and the silent thunder order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.